Whether you know it or not, if you add up all of the Bible studies that we've done and the books we've gone through, do you believe we've gone through about 15 to 20 books of the Bible already in the three plus years we've been here? It's pretty wild. Now, not all of them on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night, of course, but uh, read along with me, would you please? Now concerning things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there's no other God but one. For even if there are so many so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods in that sense, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge, shall a weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin, notice he calls it sin here, against the brothers, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat. Some of you, does that make you nervous as you read that? I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Will you go to the Lord in prayer with me, please? Lord, I am so confident you have a powerful word for each of us here tonight. I'm excited to see what you're going to do. So Lord, there's to keep things simple and clear, would you please tonight, minister, would you please tonight reveal yourself that we could see you and know you and love you more? Please, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon me and empower me, redeem every second, that there not be a moment too much or little, but that tonight we be radically, radically touched and challenged. But Lord, more than just that we get it intellectually, though I pray we would, get to our hearts tonight, that in our hearts we would cry out to you, and in crying out to you that you would make this fellowship everything you intended for it to be. Please, Lord, plant that seed in our hearts and develop it to grow to a place where it transforms our actions, our viewpoints, our priorities. And I love you and I thank you. Please, Lord, have your way now as we commit every second of this to you. Transform, save, redeem, encourage, strengthen. Let your word burst open and come alive. And may we have so much fun in it, even now. 
as we seek you in it. Jesus, be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any night or day, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. Starting in chapter 7, Paul, Pastor Paul is answering questions. Paul has addressed a carnal church. That's his appraisal, his diagnosis of the problem of the church. And we're going to see it borne out even in their questions as he teaches. He corrects, if you will, in the first, you know, first six chapters. He corrects them. And now he teaches them. Some cases he'll have to say, this is, you know, this is clearly what the Lord says. And sometimes, for instance, certainly in the one area where he gives it the most in regards to relationships, he says, no, this is my opinion. So I was like, I want to make sure you recognize this is my opinion. This is, this is God's this clear taught word in it. But understand, starting in chapter 7, he says, now concerning the things you wrote to me, these are people with genuine questions. Now there's something really cool, but he never doubts their salvation, even though they're a pretty messed up church. But he does say they're carnal. They're flesh-driven instead of spirit-driven. They are world-led instead of spirit-led. They're getting their standards from the culture that they live in instead of getting their foundations in the Word of God. And there are two areas that seem to be the priority when that happens. For the next three chapters, there will be this issue. It's been addressed already in the, in the prior section. The area of knowledge. Did you notice how many times that word pops up? Look at verses just 1, 2, and 3. We know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. If anyone loves God, that one is known by him. Did you get the idea that's a key, the key aspect of this? But in a flesh-driven church, in a carnal church, it is a me-first church. And with a me-first church, knowledge is king. Because knowledge could really make you look good in the counterculture. Hey, you could get the Christian girls, guys. By looking smart, quoting the right verse at the right time, and putting a couple hallelujahs in there. Speak a little King James, and you might woo someone. And that becomes one of the primary aspects of... And the idea is quite simple. I mean, if we're, if we're sort of socially normal, when you introduce yourself into a culture or a society or a room full of people, whether we know it or not, we may be in the place where we start ascertaining within that the priorities and the things within that culture, that environment, to see whether or not what it is what, that we have on, you know, sort of in stock that we can help propel ourselves to the front of that culture. That environment. So you've got a group of people and it's like, okay, they're kind of sports driven. You might start saying, okay, what sports things can I whip out? If they're talent driven uh, or whatever, in that sort of, you know, you know, culture of arts and music, whatever, you might start pulling out some things. You might start singing or start just rapping or pulling out poetry. But there's certain things you can do in certain areas where you start to see, how do I excel? How do I get to the top of this? And then comes the church. And so when you start looking at the church, it all depends on how, how the church looks. For some, knowledge is king. And so, well, if I know more, I'll be at the top of this, this rung, the top of the ladder. So I'm going to memorize more scripture. I'm going to know more stuff. Man, I'm going to tell you more about history. And I'm going to be able to tell you the Nicene Creed in three languages. I just want you to know, and I could quote every pope, and I could, you know, Whatever. But then there's another environment, and we'll get there a little later, and that's the area of the spiritual realm as we know it practiced within Christendom. And that's another area, if you kind of walk in and you see that's what's happening at the church, and people are kind of really, you know, all right, well, that guy's kind of, you know, he's really yelling, or that person's doing this, and this person's speaking in tongues. And if you want to excel, well, then it's like, how do I do that more and better? If it's about knowledge, how do I do that more and better? In a Calvary Chapel, maybe that might be the thing. How I want you to know I've memorized all of Psalm 119. Can I say it for you? Can I do it in front of everyone? If it's, if it's much more of a sort of a Pentecostal background, well, then you'll kind of look and go, well, now how do I speak in tongues more? How do I levitate and float and heal and yell and scream or whatever it is? 
And you realize when it's flesh driven, it's me first. And when it's me first, it's how do I get to the top? Does that make sense? And so when the questions are being asked here, they're kind of telling questions. They tell you a little bit about where these people are at. But some of the things are really just genuine heart cry questions. And I genuinely believe this is one of them. Now understand the idea of it. Now, obviously, without a total understanding of the culture, this could get a little bit rougher. But the idea is kind of this. I mean, we're still in a Greco-Roman world in this particular time period. And so there's idols everywhere. Here an idol, there an idol, everywhere an idol, idol. It's kind of like what you would do if you went to parts of India today. It's like you can tell the street corner because there's a, there's a shrine there. Kind of the same way that you can tell the street corner, uh, the street corner here in London because there's a Starbucks or a Costa or a Nero or more than likely all three of them. And so with that, there is this idolatrous world. And just like that of the Jewish people, there were animal sacrifices involved. Here's the difference. In the Jewish world, if Andrew wanted to offer a peace offering, he'd offer the parts that nobody eats except if you're, you're Scottish, and those parts would get burned up, but the rest of it he has is his barbecue, and he invites people that he loves, or the people that he's being reconciled to, and they eat together. In other words, the, the actual, if you pardon me for saying, the church gives him back the good parts so that he can go and use it for other people. So Andrew says, I'm having a barbecue now. I'm going to, I, I, you know, I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm so excited about that. I want to offer the nasty parts. I don't know. God wants the liver, the kidneys and everything that's called a lobe and fatty. And hey, take it. And then I'm going to barbecue the rest. And I just want you all to come and be a part of that celebration with me. And we all join together for that. Now that sounds like an awesome thing. Any of you get reconciled to the Lord and you just want to cook some stuff and bring it here for us all to eat. I don't think we're going to be upset about it. But it's not required. But in an, in an idol temple, all right, in an idol's temple, things are actually quite different. You ain't sleeping on this one, was it? See, what happens is, is that someone would go and they would offer the entire animal. Parts of it would get burned. And then the meat would be taken by the temple priests and then they would turn around, and in one case, they would sell it. See, the idea was, is that the temple was big, it was, was big money. Now, understand, people genuinely believe that these idols were real. They believe that there were real deities connected with them. And later on, Paul will say, by the way, if you're going to connect it with anything, it's a demon. And they were, in many cases, quite really obscene. They were made like parts of body that weren't parts you would want to bring your children around. And with that, then, people would offer these sacrifices. They'd hand over the whole thing, and when they did, then the, the temple would turn around, and it was big profit for them. They would take the blood, and they would pour it on themselves, or they'd drink some of it for the part, part of getting power. It's all, it was a really funky, weird thing. Now, in some cases, what would happen is, is that the temple itself would be turned into a restaurant. So what would happen is, that someone would go and offer their thing, they would, they would offer their animal, the, the, the temple priest would take the meat, they would turn around and cook it, and then they would start serving it and let everybody come in. And why would they do that? Because it gets more people into the temple, doesn't it? And what happens is you've got competing temples. You've only got so many people that can give so much to so many idols. How do you make your idol the cool idol? You know what you do is you hire a bunch of Italians to cook for it, or you have the Greeks barbecue or whatever it is but in the end of it all now it's like oh wow and, and so what happens now is it's sort of like you know temple to diana and you know all you can eat buffet does that make sense and so what happens now is all of a sudden abraham gives his life to the lord and he gives his life to the lord and it's like what he understands is it, it sounds like there's a bit of an argument here somewhere and they're asking for paul to solve it and as Abraham, got, as Abraham gave his life over, like the Thessalonians where Paul said, you turn from lifeless idols to serving the living God, that may have been his story. And he, every time he walks by that same temple, because it's not going to go away as far as the building, but every time that's the case, 
He remembers how he used to go in there and offer an animal, trying to get in touch with this thing that didn't really exist. And that hurts his heart. And you can see him, his heart starts to break about as he walks by and he hears people singing and he hears people crying out and he realizes they're crying out to somebody who can't hear them. That really hurts his heart. I got to tell you, it was, I don't know, a couple months ago, I, and someone had asked me, when was the last time you cried? And I was like, I don't know. Classic guy answer, well, never, maybe, whatever. But I realized, I had to start thinking about it and I realized the last time it happened, I was walking down Brick Lane. And as I was walking down Brick Lane, um, they was, it was, there's a, a fairly large mosque there and it was a time of prayer. And as I walked by it, I, I like, I felt like I was frozen. I just, my, I was, my heart was just so crushed to think of all those people that are trying so hard to please the wrong guy. And it broke my heart. And I think of Jesus in Matthew, when he was in the, at the Caesarea Philippi, and as he was at Caesarea Philippi, where they're bowing to all these idols, it was like a mall for idols. And Jesus is stepping over these people as they're bowing. God in the flesh is walking over human beings that are trying to find God. Is that weird? And Jesus then turns to these guys as they're trying to worship gods of power and gods of wisdom and gods of love that they had all invented. And then Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Perfect place for it, isn't it? They're like, some say Elijah, prophet of power. Some say one of the prophets, someone with great wisdom. Someone say, and as you realize, it's almost like Jesus is like, so like, like they're doing. He's like, but, but who do you say I am? And I, as we, and one of the places we go in Israel is we walk at Caesarea Philippi, and you can still see the enclaves where they used to put their idols. I think, oh man, what would that be like for Christ? So, so all of a sudden, what happens is, is, uh, and pardon me for being a bit, but it's like he's, he's a new Christian, he's excited about the Lord, and as he's excited about the Lord, he starts saying, you know, my, my heart's just broken. But as he walks by that temple, he sees Jeffrey eating there. And he starts looking and he goes, Jeffrey, what are you doing, man? It's, it's a temple, man. It's a temple to some other God. This is all hypothetical, by the way. You're aware of that, right? And Jeffrey turns and he goes, but man, I'm more mature than you are, bro. And let me just say, bro, let me tell you what. You know, uh, I'm going to tell you that if you knew that the temple's really not anything. I mean, there's no real God here anyways. I mean, there's no God. There's only one God and you've got the right God. So don't even worry about it. When you get more mature, you'll understand and you'll be cool about it and you'll actually come and join me here. But there's no way that Abraham's going to ever feel comfortable in that place. Does that make sense? And for good reason. And so they're like, and this becomes an argument. And finally, like, you know, we should probably ask Paul. We should ask Pastor Paul. Paul, well, what's the deal on this? What's the deal? I mean, is it really, if it really is no one, can we eat there? Or could we not eat there? Does that make sense as a legitimate thing? Now the question is, how does that play out to us today? What he says here, and I, and I want to develop it when I get there, but I, I really want to make sure you get this first. He says that there was a, bro- there was a brother. He's a brother now. He loves Jesus. But this brother has a history. And what this brother has a history is this history is associated. There's an association in that history. His association was what took place in that building. Was, there's no way that what took place in that building could be godly. Does that make sense? And because of that association, he cannot possibly reconcile a believer being in there unless they're there to shut it down. That association is such a tough thing that to see another believer, and even especially somebody that would look like they're in leadership or someone that looks like they're mature, in that environment sends them reeling. So then we have to start asking, how would that apply today? Now, clearly, there are places that you shouldn't, it should be a no-brainer. An adult club, I don't know why they call it gentleman's club. Is that the craziest title you ever heard? You know, uh, anyways. Um, 
Yeah, anyways, it's like having a pita meeting at a bar- Brazilian barbecue. But the, uh, there's no reason for a Christian to be there. Hey, you know, you want to minister to the people, find a place that's not there to do it. Because that place, you walk by, you can almost feel the bondage when you walk by a place like that. But what about the clubs? The places where the purpose is for you to get drunk, for you to hook up, for you to get your, your swag on. Now please hear me. I'm not here to lay a heavy trip on you. The question is, what are we driven by? What becomes the primary objective? Because when the church gets together, one side of it is, I have my rights and I've got my freedom. On the other side of it is, I want to be, what's, what's more important to you? That's where the focus is. There are a lot of places where someone, and let's be honest, whether it's you or not, it's certainly me. I was in a band for a period of time, a Christian band. I haven't been in anything that didn't revolve around Jesus since as long as I can remember now. Since I've known Christ, it's never been about anything but him. And I remember being in one of these bands where they're like, we need to play the clubs, we need to play the bars. And I'm like, bro, there's no way. There's no way I would play them. And they're like, well, we'll never get famous, we'll never get popular, and we'll never have whatever. I'm like, look it, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. So, so case in point, we've just done a gig, and we're at one of the places, one of those, one of those places, and people know me as a pastor. And I'm sitting there, and I ask for a tap water. And they're going to give me a tap water in what kind of glass? Probably a highball glass. And you walk by and see me standing, sitting at the, by the window with a glass that's this tall with a clear liquid in it. Are you going to think that pastor's probably drinking water and sitting in there because he's ministering to people? Someone's going to go and say, I just saw him do six shots of, you know, six Jager bombs. Or I've just, just watched him drink a, the whole thing of vodka. That's where it goes. And here's the problem. Please hear me on this. Some people want to sin so bad that they're on a thread of obedience. And because they're on a thread of obedience, they're looking for an excuse to sin. And that excuse, you just, congratulations, you just became it. Now, please hear me. All of this sounds like a heavy foreboding cloud, but it shouldn't when we go through this text. The reason I say that is maybe that's not the case for you, but as far as, you know, you know, as far as what you read this, but I guarantee you, as you read this, the heart of it, may God put in your heart where that temple is. That's the point. That you realize what drives me in this. Look at the text with me in this. And that's why the way, by the way, I've been so excited about getting to this text because I know where this goes. And it's, and maybe if nothing, no other reason, it just validates having a high standard of conduct for the right motivations. Now listen. Concerning things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge and knowledge will do this. What does knowledge do according to this? You tell me. Bark it out. Puffs up. Puffs up. But love does what? Edifies. Edifies. Now look at You've got two different things already that's being compared. On the first one, on, on this side is knowledge. What's on this side? Love. There's two things, and strangely enough, it isn't like the two can't be reconciled, but in this case, they're on opposite sides. They both do something. This does something, this does something. Knowledge does something, love does something. Are you with me so far? And they both do something that makes growth. This, what what does knowledge do? Puffs up. What does love do? Do you know another way for saying edify? The word's oikodoma. It literally means put a dome on your house. The idea of it puts another floor on. Is builds up. So listen. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Are you with me so far? So let's try this again. These two things are compared. What's the first? Knowledge. What's the second? Love. What does knowledge do? What does love do? Are you with me so far? And he goes, there's going to be two different things here. Knowledge, love. Now, are you with me so far? Now, it's interesting. When you think of puff up, something puffing up, What images come to your head? What's that? A puffer fish. That's a good one, right? Like, don't you, don't you, don't scared. Boink, right? That's a fun one. What else? Anything else? I think of bread. Like those little, those those like spanakopitas. You know, those things when you put, it's like they're like flat, but then when you cook them, they go, like that, right? 
Now, when they do that, it's mostly what? Air. That's the fun thing. By the way, when a pufferfish puffs up, what is it mostly? You know, I mean, that's interesting how that works. But listen to this. This thing makes things grow, but it's full of hot air. It's full of air. This thing is actually structurally greater. Now understand, the taller the building, the greater their honor. That's why in Israel, for instance, the, the Muslim world and the Jewish world and the Christian world are competing over buildings. My favorite, one of my favorite stories is in regards to Nazareth, which was, by the way, at one time almost exclusively Christian, and it was only a small handful of people there. The Muslims had moved into the area, and the first thing they did was build a mosque that was coincidentally a meter taller than every building before that. So what happened? The Christian church responded. Now, when I say Christian, I say that anything that calls itself Christian, I can't tell you whether it's Christian or not, if that makes sense. It just puts itself under that umbrella. So they decide, well, we're going to build a, a, a church too. We have a little extra space. We're going to build a church. Now, what are they going to do with it? Coincidentally, it was a little taller than them. And this went on for about 30 years. And the government in the beginning didn't mind because that's a lot of applications. That's a lot of building funds. That's all, you know, it's like they, there's like a lot of licenses they hand out and that's the government's getting money for that. Finally, it's like the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church, by the way, one, I think they had a little bit of extra money or it was the Catholic Church. Somebody had a little bit of extra cash flow and they built this thing that was big and shiny and the whole bit. And then what happened is, is that, and every, nobody's saying it. You know, it's like one of those unspoken things. And then finally, the Muslim world counters and says, you know, we were digging in our driveway, in our pavement area where everyone parks. Now, why were you doing that, first of all? And we discovered the bones. We discovered bones. And those bones were clearly a Muslim holy man. Yeah, I, I, I was, yeah, I'm just laughing to think of it. And it's like, so we need to build a new building. And the government by this point wasn't getting the money they were wanting anyways. So they kind of looked and said, well, we'll let you build the building. You just cannot build it any higher than this. And they were like, never mind. And here's the point. The taller the building, the greater the honor. That's the point. So when you get the idea of oikodomas, edify, literally the idea of is the house gets built up higher, so what happens to the house? It gets greater honor. Does that make sense? But we're not building up houses, we're building up people. And when you build up a person, greater honor comes as a result of it. You with me on that? What's on this side? Thank you. How about all of you? What's on this side? What's on this side? What does knowledge do? Pops up. Fills it full of air. What does love do? Edifies. Now, here's the big issue. The big issue on it. You ready? Who does knowledge puff up? Yourself. Who does love edify? Others. Don't miss that. That's the whole point. He's like, look at if you are a flesh-driven church, that means it's a me-first-driven church. And if it's a me-first-driven church, give me what makes me look bigger. Give me what makes me look greater. Give me what really lifts me up. That could be knowledge. That could be spiritual gifts. That could be a whole lot of things. But give me something so I'm the big dude now. That if the pastor gets run over by a herd of yak or just the 168 outside the building, they're going to clearly come to me and say, you should probably take over because you're clearly the man. Or whatever the case is. And what happens is it's a me first world. And you know how to get me first? Gimme, gimme, gimme whatever I need to make me forward, to put me in the front of the queue. But love, on the other hand, puts you first. In one case, it's like, let me puff. It's like, God never says, you know what? If you just do this, you would edify yourself. What he says is, I don't even want you to think about edifying yourself. God says, that's my job is to edify you. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to seek to edify others. And how does that, what does it take for that? Love. Does that make sense? Now, please understand, I've already said, don't just believe me, but let me go for the throat of something. Can I just do that? Well, I get the pulpit. God help you. Um, if anyone thinks that they know anything, that they don't know anything like they ought to know. What? This is, but if anyone loves God, do you see that in there instead? Now look at, there are people out there, by the way, their whole thing's to know. We give degrees for it. How do you graduate somebody from a seminary of love? Ever thought about that? But you can, you know, we've said it before here. 
Jesus himself could not teach at the majority of the churches in London. Because he's not qualified. Isn't that crazy? At least according to the qualifications that the church has set. Now we understand there's some safeguards. We want to make sure you go to our schools to get our things, to make sure you teach the way we would expect you to, to do our, our way. I get that. But what happens is it's all about pumping people full of knowledge. And you know what he says here? Is that you can get all of the questions right and still fail the test. Think about the way that we learn. We learn that there's going to be a test someday, and then after that, praise God, never again trigonometry. Or whatever it is that you never want to have to take again. And so what happens is, you know that, okay, let me learn what I have to learn long enough to be able to get it on a piece of paper, and once I get it on the piece of paper and it's all right, I pass my class, we're done. Can we approach Jesus that way? Or the church that way? Like, hey, guess what? We just finished Leviticus. Done. But are we willing to take the exhortations that God calls us to to be holy as we seek him? And he says, look it. If this is about you knowing stuff, you learned wrong. Hey, the end of it. That's the point. The end of it. One's the vehicle. One's the end. Hey, knowledge can be a great vehicle to greater love. It isn't like God calls us all to be just dumb or ignorant. But knowledge is not the end. It is not the destination. Jesus is the destination. And let's be honest, we can riddle ourselves so full of information, especially as a Calvary Chapel. We can riddle ourselves so full of information that we could be completely have no room for love. It's like saying you could be so right, you're dead right. Do you remember what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2? First church he goes to in regards to the seven. He says, man, you know it all in this sense. You can prove a phony. If a guy calls himself an apostle, you can tell if he's right or wrong. Man, you're solid in the truth. But I have this against you. You left your first love. God's like, you're so right and so wrong. What if we had both? Knowledge for the sake of serving others, for loving others. What would that do? Now understand, the reason why this has to be developed is this is the problem within the rest of the the chapter. Because in this chapter, the whole point is, well, what about that temple? What about the club? What about the whatever? See, Abraham, in this case, in our example, he associates that place with another God. That's the way it works. And if I'm driven by knowledge, I could puff me up. But if I'm driven by love, I will serve him. And the difference then becomes what I do now with that temple. So when he says here, look it. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if he loves God, he, instead of just knowing, wouldn't it be greater just to be known by Christ? You know what the difference is? Which am I more interested in being intimate with? Would I rather be intimate with the word in such a way that I know the words? Or would I rather be intimate with God so that I know the God of those words? And again, I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm saying you should. The question is, for what purpose? If I read and say, God, show me how to love through this. This chapter is a pretty simple one. The question is, who's first? You first or me first? Because if it's me first, I would say, sit down and shut up and I could just do whatever I want. I've got my rights, my freedoms anyways. But Galatians said, you've been set free, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for vice, but rather through love, Serve one another. You are not free to sin. You are free to serve. God would assume because you've accepted Christ, who's obviously suffered in such a way, that we would be so driven too. So therefore, now that we've got that basis, here's our application. Verse 4. Therefore, concerning things of, you know, eating things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing. We know that there's no other God. The issue isn't whether we know that or not. 
The issue is whether we love each other enough to be driven by that instead of the knowledge. Hey, so there are people that, they, there are all kinds of, there's over 300 million gods in India, lowercase g, and that's like here. Well, there's all kinds of counterfeits. But could you imagine if we took a mission trip to India? Some of you did. Lauren takes a bunch of girls and it's a women's trip. And they're going to take a, they're going to take a trip and they're going to go, you know, lambing in India. So that the lambs are born, then they turn it into mutton curry. It's really a very quick process. But while she's there, and let's face it, some of the times it's going to get really awkward. While she's there, because what she's doing is she's also seeking to bless the people in this community. They're teaching hygiene. And after all, who better than Lauren? She whips out 650 liters of antibacterial solution, you know, hand, whatever. And she's like, let me just show you how, first of all, stop bathing in urine and let's start talking about proper hygiene. And as that's the case, they want to honor her because of what she's done in this small little community. So what do they want to do? They are going to go and they're going to take her to their idol's temple. They're going to give them all, dress them all in the sort of the best garb. And they're going to all bow down to them. They're going to touch, you know, they're going to kiss their feet or kiss their hands and touch their feet and all of that. And they're going to do the whole thing in the temple. And they want to honor Lauren and the girls. And Lauren says, hmm, if I say no to this, I'm going to offend them. But if I say yes to this, the first picture that gets back to the church, what's it going to look like? Hey, look at all of them in the idol temple there. Oh, that's really awesome. Look at what Lauren's doing. They're all bowing to her. Sweet. With, you know, fresh crispy apple smelling hands or something. Sometimes you have to say no and it's going to be awkward. Because somehow Lauren looks back and she realizes there are young believers in this fellowship and she knows that if they saw that picture, it would really stumble them. Because there's no doubt they're going to associate where she is with another God. And that history that they may have is going to stumble them. Listen, here's the bad and the good. The bad, you do not want to be a part of a person's excuse. Well, you do it. It doesn't mean that the person's off the hook because you did it. They're still responsible for their choices. But let me say the good of it. You do want to be a part of a person's testimony. And the moment Lauren says, you know, I'm really sorry, I can't do that. This is a foreign God and I serve Jesus Christ. And they're like, oh, we serve Jesus too. He's one of the 301 million gods here. And and you're like, you know what? But the Jesus of the Bible says it's, He's the Lord of all or not Lord at all. And they look and they're like, well, that's really offensive. You realize, and Lauren's like, you know, I don't want to offend you, but please understand, I cannot go against my God. And they they show a picture of them shunning Lauren and the girls. And that comes back here. And so what do we do? We pray. Two years later, a girl shows up here because she gave her life to Jesus because she realized Lauren was the first person ever to take a stand about that. Now she went from being a part of someone's excuse to being a part of someone's testimony. And if you've ever been a part of someone's testimony, it is the coolest thing ever in regards to that. Like, you know, I was, on the, I was hellbound and then I ran into your name here. You know what the difference is? Lauren could say, I have freedom. I know that there's no real God in this place. I have freedom to do this. But out of love, Lauren is driven for a different calling. Does that make sense? Now understand, when you first get saved, I don't expect you to be that selfless. But as you grow in Christ, as I grow in Christ, I expect us all to become more selfless. That's the whole journey we're on, is to become more like Jesus. And there's nothing selfish about Jesus. We can't look like Jesus by being horribly selfish jerks. And I'm not saying that to rebuke us. I'm saying, I'm saying that to rebuke our past. Does that make sense? That, that part needs to be left behind to embrace a selfless world that only Christ can do through us. So look at, not everybody has that knowledge. Verse 7. Some with consciousness of the idol until now Eat it as a thing offered to an idol. 
And their conscience being weak is defiled. You just soiled someone because of that. Listen, the knowledge for some with conscience of the idol until now eat it. In other words, they've had a history of eating in that place. They know what that place does. And they know what that, and they know the difference. Now, we don't go to a place today and go, you know, oh, well, has this, was this meat offered to Diana? Was this meat offered to Artemis or whatever the case is? Praise the Lord for that. And the closest thing you could possibly get to that is whether it's kosher or halal. But in the end of it all, if my freedom trips up another human being, then my freedom, then I'm choosing my freedom at the expense of another person's bondage. Is that what I'm doing? So I said me over you, didn't I? Here's the crazy part. Me saying no to that thing doesn't put me in bondage. It just puts me in a place of love. So hey, look it. If you're like, and I understand there are people for vegetarians for various reasons. This was a religious conviction. If you're like, we're ever going to meet for dinner sometime or lunch sometime and I'll ask you, are you a vegetarian? And they'll be like, yes, you're a vegetarian. I'm like, awesome, we'll get tea <laughs> together and then I'll go get a burger. Anyways, so food does not, verse 8, food isn't the issue. That's the point here. And look, it says, food does not commend us to God. Neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we don't eat are we the worse. Food is not the issue. But beware. The issue is whose freedom? Lest somehow this freedom of yours becomes a stumbling block or an issue for scandal to those who are weak. My freedom could actually hurt somebody. Do I care? This is why I don't drink. I don't even drink, you know, I, I, I don't, like, you're not going to, the reason is, it isn't like I don't have the freedom. I'm like, hey, well, Pastor Tony, I know you're getting in one of those areas, one of those gray areas. Because it says, don't be drunk. It doesn't say, but I challenge you to look at the original language when it talks about people who are supposed to be leaders. You read that it's not much wine. Literally, it's not near the wine. Look at the original words. And the reason is, God does not want you tripping up. Well, what about Paul telling Timothy, right? Now, you know what you just did? You just used the Bible as an excuse. Hey, Paul told Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I'm like, oh, do you have dysentery? Are you dying from diarrhea? Because the water's bad? Then go ahead, put a little alcohol in your water. A little. Did you get the little part? In water? Well, beer's kind of like alcohol and water. No, it's not. Did it cure your diarrhea? Can you say that word in church? Yes, you can. Beware. Now look it, if you if you just come to Christ, I'm not here to lay a heavy burden on you. But this is my challenge. Could there be somebody that's at least mature enough to say, we grow in love, not in we grow in cynicism. We grow in knowledge so that we are all big puffer fish. You know what happens with a, you try to put a bunch of puffer fish in the same room? They're prickly, they're, right? Who wants, to, who wants to play catch with a puffer fish? It's a cactus. It's a basically half balloon, half cactus. Who wants that? Who snuggles with that? That's a defense to keep things away. Is that what we want? You know the problem is? If we really followed this and said, Lord, I don't know where I'm at in this right now, but I know this is where I'm supposed to grow as I go, we will not be strangers. Because what it means is you before me. And I want to serve you. And I want to, what do I do? What can I do to build you up? To put another floor in your house so that greater honor would be the result. Well, I have the freedom to tear down your house and puff me up. But I can't say that I'm acting like Jesus to do that. So if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? Now, hey, if it's not a sin for you, but it's a sin for them, don't drag them to it. Because it infuriates me when I watch this. Hey, listen, can we make a pact here? I'm not saying a vow that you guys need to sign, but this is what I would like. If you're a Christian and you're hanging out with another Christian and you're like, you want to do something and that other Christian goes, I don't know about that. End it there. Because then what happens? You're like, oh, come on, get over it. You know what you just said? 
is mellow out with your conscience, man. What part of that loves someone? Like, oh, come on. It doesn't trip me up. Well, that's obviously not the issue. The, in, let's face it. When you say, I'm not really sure, what you're really saying is this gives me the uh-oh feeling, but I don't know how to say it without being more awkward than I'm going to. Think about the bravery to even say that. You're like, oh, no, I got that third, you know, I got that like nine-year-old uh-oh feeling inside of me. Hey, what if it's, what if it's like, hey, you know, let's go watch a football match. And person's like, I don't know, man. It doesn't like bring the best out of me. And inside you're like, oh, but I love this team. God says, yeah, you seem to. So what are you going to choose? Them or your friend? Does that sound harsh? It should be. But when you actually do choose something over others, it doesn't, it doesn't look good in the kingdom of heaven. So listen. And, but what if, you know, you're like, everyone's like, hey, we're all cool with it, we're all cool with it, cool. I like to slow it down a little bit and just ask, hey, look at, football's not a sin, watching football's not a sin, unless it's a sin for you. If you're like, I'm not really sure this could really trip me up and put me in the flesh, well then let's do something else. I've learned that with some people, it's like, don't be offended if it's like, you know, we're going to have a card game, but I don't think you should come. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds mean, but it's like, I know where that goes sometimes. Even that, or we're going to play a sport, but we should be really careful. And the moment it starts crawling the flesh, the flesh we're like, we're done. We're done with it. We're done, because it's just not a matter of it anymore. I don't want this to be something that trips people up. So because of your knowledge, shall the weaker brother perish? But when you thus sin against your brother, you wound his weak conscience, you sin against Christ. See, Jesus takes it personally. Have you learned that yet? See, understand, remember when, do you remember when Paul was on his way to Damascus to go and destroy Christians? And Jesus, Paul, well, Saul at the time, and he was going to go, and as he did, he ran into Jesus. And Jesus, remember what Jesus asked him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus takes personally when you hurt his own. Read 1 Thessalonians and see how Jesus feels about those who trip up a brother with sexual sin. We read that God is the avenger. I mean, that's a popular word these days, isn't it? The original avenger, by the way, is Captain Universe, Jesus. And he's the avenger of those who trip up people into sexual sin. I don't even, man, you don't even want to be around what Jesus would do to those if you think about it. Or could do or should do to those <coughs> who force people into that trade. Jesus takes it personally. Now look at Heavy chapter? Absolutely. Easy to live out? No possible way. Jesus never told us that this walk was going to be easy. What he told us was that the only way we're ever going to get through this is for him to do it through us. That's the good news. But see, what the Lord is looking for is permission. And let's be honest, there are times where the Lord wants permission on things we don't give him. Like, I don't, I'd rather, can I just get more knowledge? Jesus is like, if you want to like walk around like a puffer fish. But don't you remember that study you went to that you're still trying to block out of your mind? What I really want is to raise you guys up so that when someone comes in here who doesn't know Jesus, they look and go, this is the strangest place I've ever been to. That this isn't like the bars. This isn't like the clubs. This isn't just like a rock concert. This isn't just like a social club. This is the strangest thing. This is like a family but it's actually like a functional family. And for some, that's just a sort of an ideal. For many, that's just an ideal. But it's like, these people, like, like they love each other. I don't get it. I understand, love is not an exaggerated version of like. Because if that's the case, you're going to love some people that actually are lovable or likable and not love those that you really should be loving, which are the ones that are harder to serve. 
The world does that. Hey, the girl's cute. All the guys talk to her. That's the clubs. The needy person, people flee from in the world. The one a little harder to get along with. The one that we know that this is going to cost us something. Hey, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. As we go to prayer, what if we actually ask the Lord, do this in my life? This is what we have in Scripture. And we're a little cautious of it because how it's been abused. Text like this where it says, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that we have that request. So my question is, if we ask God, make us more loving, put us on the trajectory that each day we become more loving like you invented it, is that not his will? That's clearly his will. God has made that clear in this chapter that's his will. And if that is his will, and we're asking it, shouldn't we expect it to come about? That's the cool part about this. Remember, Jesus said, the world won't even know you're my students unless you love each other. Each other. Christians loving Christians. How do we do it? Here's the simplest thing. You before me. God caused me to make other people more important than me. So that I could be more interested in building up than puffing up. Wouldn't that be a crazy thought? Last thing and we'll pray. How did Jesus do it? He emptied himself of everything. He had all the knowledge. He had all the power. And refused to exercise it unless it built up. Well, we took the challenge on some cases. We had to go toe-to-toe with somebody. But that challenge was to make sure that his disciples didn't get led astray either. But man, what he could have done that he didn't. Just because he loved us. Died on a cross by a person who nailed... He died for a person who nailed him to it. He died for the people who dripped spit on his face and plucked the hair off his beard. The man who whipped him. The religious leaders. Who all declared him innocent and yet sent him to to Pilate. He died for every one of them. Just like you and me. And then rose again. Just like scripture promised. And beloved, we serve the one living God. God says about an idol. A guy cuts a piece of wood. Half of it he throws in the fire. The other half he covers in silver. Or gold to make it look nicer. Carves out a face. But it is ears that can't hear. Eyes that can't see. A nose that can't smell. A mouth that can't speak. Hands that really can't do anything. The feet can't go anywhere. He says he has to nail it down to something so it doesn't fall over. That's what you want to pray? That's what you want to pray to? That's what you want to worship? There's something you have to guard from falling over? If you have to protect your God, you got the wrong one. And then the best part about it, God gets a little cheeky and he says, here's the funny part. How does he even know he has the right half? (laughs) He's like, this one isn't working. Oh, I threw the God part in the fire. Dang it. But that doesn't stop people from worshiping it, does it? Fame and success are still idols. Dare I warn us, it started with Simon calling an American idol. In the 80s, it was a guy named Billy Idol. Do we want to be an idol? You really want to be that? So people can worship you? Money? It's lifeless, but people worship it. Drunkenness being wasted. There's no room for it. Sex, it's worshipped. It's worshipped. But could you imagine if we stopped making this about us, made it about Jesus? If we made it about Jesus, we'd look through Jesus and we'd see you guys. We'd see each other. We wouldn't see ourselves as much because we wouldn't be thinking as much about ourselves. You know why I don't have to worry about taking care of me? That's Jesus' job. I don't need to serve me. He's doing that all the time. I want to serve you now. Jesus is like, you don't have to worry about thinking about yourself. I think about you all the time. And the only person who loves me more than I do is Jesus. Have you said yes to that, Jesus? As it starts there. Have you said yes to his gift at the cross, his resurrection? And if you have said yes, then Jesus, welcome to the great adventure, the trail of becoming more like him. Me too. Could you imagine a year from now what we'll look like? 
if this is what we really want to become? Not just more knowing, but more loving. Pray with me, would you please? God, I, I, I just want to... I mean, it's so routine. You know, it's time to pray. We're going to... Whatever. And it's, it's, I, just, I just don't want us to be in this place where we're going to acknowledge this information but not let it change us. And I confess to you that we are... Na- I, I know what you tell us. We're naturally selfish people. So doing what comes naturally isn't a great idea. But Lord, you've told us that what you wanted from us was our love. You told us all the way back in Deuteronomy that that's the one thing you really wanted. You, Jesus, you taught us that it was the greatest commandment was to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, like it, was to love each other. And yet we confess to you, we would rather sometimes just know more, do more, whatever that propels us to the front of the line here, which puts us at the back of the queue in heaven. Because you told us the first will be last. And I'm sure that's what you meant. So God, I just want to pray right now that we would take this beyond just the acknowledgement. And Lord, that we would be just willing for you to put us on the right line to go to the right destination, which is you, to become more like you. And we recognize that by doing that, we give you permission to start carving off of us things that we may even like, but somehow do not play into loving each other, serving each other. But I pray, and I know it's your will, Lord. In faith, I pray that you would turn this church into a church that loves you and loves each other, that is voraciously hungry for your word so that we could better serve each other, better know you that trusts in your Holy Spirit to do that work through us and voluntarily makes the choice to step back to let others have the seat on the crowded train to make sure that we demonstrate your love first to each other then to the world around us. Jesus, you show you showed us this. To pray, not my will, but yours be done to the Father. Where it just wasn't about you. That you would say, you always do the things that please the Father. Oh, that we could say that. Don't let us just become fat, lazy, complacent Christians that the world looks and sees no difference from themselves. But make us, Lord, the people who are so driven to love you and love others, love each other, that when someone walks in here, it is the most foreign place they've ever been. And that they would see what a real family is supposed to look like here. So Lord, please tonight begin that great work, or should I say continue that great work. That when we look to see how we've grown a year from now, that's what we would look for is, are we becoming more loving, more selfless, more serving? Jesus, we confess that you And only you can make this possible. And it starts at the cross. We've confessed you, Lord, as the one who died on the cross for us, rose again for our sins. But if there be anyone in this room, Lord, who has not accepted that gift, make tonight that night. 
And if that's you, I ask you simply to amend this prayer and what you're saying is, I agree, let this prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as scripture promised for those sins. You were buried and just like scripture promised, you rose again on the third day. And now you offer yourself as my ransom, my Lord and my Savior. And I say yes. I surrender myself to you now. Have me. I belong to you. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, radiate now through us. Make us people who love each other the way that pleases you. May the choices we make not be based on what rights we think we have, but rather on what blessings we could be to others. In Jesus' name, amen.